going to read some scripture. This is from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. And we're going to be introduced to uh, maybe not one of the main characters of Christmas, but the one that played an important part. His name is Simeon, and we'll learn about him in just a little bit. So Luke 2, 25 through 32. Now there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. May God add his blessing to his word this morning. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather here this morning to worship the King of Kings, uh, the one who's called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Lord, as we uh, pause this morning, we realize that we live in a fallen world. And so, Lord, we uh, bring before you some uh, families, many families uh, nearby us in Oxford that are um, grieving and mourning the loss that they face this, this week. And we pray for those that are hospitalized, those that are recovering, Lord, those that are facing um, emotional trauma from all this. And so, Lord, we uh, we commit them all to you, and we, we pray for them. Lord, we also uh, pray for the missionaries that are in Haiti, uh, 15 of them still held captive. Lord, would you continue to protect them? And we ask that uh, somehow you would uh, intervene, and we pray for their soon release. Lord, we also pray for our country today, our president, our vice president, Lord, all of our um, national leaders, state leaders, local leaders, Lord, uh, we pray that you would give them wisdom. Lord, we pray for our United States Supreme Court that is faced with a very important case regarding abortion and uh, from the state of Mississippi. Lord, would you, um, would you work in their hearts and lives? May they choose life. And Lord, we pray that you would intervene there as well. And now, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to gather together as a church family, uh, to worship you, uh, to encourage one another, and we pray that our hearts and eyes and um, would be open to what you have for us today. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here we are again, Christmas time, and... Uh, some people call it the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, my wife has been playing Christmas music since Halloween. Um, a little early for me, but she, en- she enjoys it. And uh, so uh, it, it is a wonderful time of the year. Although as I talk to people about their favorite holiday, I'm finding more and more people tell me they like Thanksgiving because it's a lot less stress, <laughs> at least for most people. But we're going to talk about, uh, obviously, the, the Christmas season, and uh, it, it can be a wonderful time of the year as we enjoy uh, Christmas music, as we enjoy the, the traditions, uh, uh, the gift-giving of Christmas, and certainly the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, 
We also have to realize it can be a very, very difficult time of the year for, for many people. Many people that have suffered um, loss. Uh, many people that uh, it accentuates uh, loneliness or families that are going through financial stress, relational stress, and it all seems to be magnified by the Christmas season. Well, I don't know where you are on that spectrum, whether you're uh, entered into the anticipation and joy of Christmas or maybe uh, you're on the other end of the spectrum and really struggling with some things that are going on in your life or that have happened this year. But this morning we want to think about a life lesson from Christmas and we want to talk about contentment. And we're going to look at some biblical principles about contentment and then we're going to be introduced to this man by the name of Simeon that plays a key part in the Christmas story. As we think about contentment in the context of Christmas, we need to realize that Contentment is really uh, the polar opposite of the message that our culture and society uh, sends us, especially at Christmas time. I remember an advertisement that I saw for the first time probably like three years ago. It was an advertisement by uh, the Lexus car company. And the message of the, the advertisement, it showed two brand new Lexus cars in the driveway with bows on it. And the message was, hey, you know, if you want to have a really good Christmas, you don't need to just buy one. You need you need two, one for him and one for her. Uh, the, the message of, of Madison Avenue is really to uh, create discontent in our in our life, uh, to create need. And um, you know, the, the iPhone uh, 13 is not good anymore because iPhone uh, 14 has come out. And so it's this constant message of, uh, of creating need. And the post-Christmas question addresses that. Oftentimes when um, we ask the question, do you have a good Christmas? Uh, a lot of people determine that by the list of uh, things that they got and how that matched their expectations. Well, there's nothing wrong with gift giving and enjoying the gifts that God has given us, but we want to think about contentment that is the polar opposite of the Madison Avenue message that we get. So let's look at a few uh, principles and then we'll dive into uh, thinking about Simeon here uh, this morning. So uh, here's the first truth about contentment. Contentment is to be a key character trait in the life of a follower of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible talks a lot about contentment. Uh, we could uh, spend some time overviewing the, the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon writes his, really his life story, his autobiography, and he's looking for true purpose and meaning in life, and he has unlimited resources. And as he moves on from um, purchase after purchase and investment after investment, he finally concludes Meaningless, meaningless, emptiness, emptiness, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He can't find true meaning and satisfaction in life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he uh, writes uh, this, this truth and this principle. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Verse 15, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. And so Solomon is trying to find 
meaning, contentment, satisfaction in his life, and he's frustrated because he can't find it. And of course, it's not till the end of the book that he comes to the, the right conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, contentment is to be a character trait in, in our lives. First Timothy chapter 6. Uh, here's what Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can carry nothing out. The old question is, how much did they leave when a person dies? And the answer is, they left all of it. And Hebrews 13 addresses that as well. The author of Hebrews writes, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And so the message of contentment is a polar opposite to the message that our culture would uh, promote today and, and especially in the Christmas season. But contentment is a key character trait in the life of a believer. Secondly, contentment does not come naturally but it is a learned trait. We're naturally born with a propensity and a bent toward discontentment, toward grumbling and complaining. Uh, go back to the, uh, the Exodus and uh, Moses leading the, the Israelites after 400 years of Egyptian bondage and slavery and finally the ten plagues and the deliverance from the miracle of the Red Sea. And it wasn't very far in that journey that... Uh, the Israelites began to complain. You know, why didn't you just leave us back in, in, in Egypt? At least we had good food there, and we've got nothing to drink, and we've got nothing to eat, and God met need after need, and they continued to be discontent. The Apostle Paul writes about the fact that contentment is a trait that we learn. We're born naturally with a state toward discontent. And so Paul, writing from, from prison, says, I'm not saying this as he writes this thank you note to the Philippian believers because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And then he gives us the key to that secret of contentment. He writes in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so um, contentment is something that is, is a learned trait. And as we mature in Christ and our walk with the Lord, uh, contentment comes much easier for all of us. Well, thirdly, before we get to Simon or Simeon, rather, uh, is this contentment is not found in position, power, or possessions, but contentment is found in a person, and that's really the key of what we want to focus on this morning. Contentment is not found in position, power, or possessions, but contentment is found in a person. So, the second half of Hebrews thirteen five. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
Oh, there's the, there's the key to the secret of our contentment that, that uh, Paul was talking about in Hebrews chapter 13. Again, not found in position, power, possessions, but ultimate contentment is found in a person, and it's the person of Jesus. And God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And as we journey through life in the natural course of life, um, we begin to suffer loss, don't we? We suffer the, the loss of health. We sometimes suffer the loss of relationships. Uh, we suffer the loss of people that are close to us. Um, we suffer the loss of a job, perhaps. But one thing that will never change, God says, is I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jerry Bridges with Navigators Ministry in his book entitled The Practice of Godliness writes this about contentment. The contented person experiences the sufficiency of God's provision for his need and the sufficiency of God's grace for his circumstance. The godly person has found what the discontented person always searches for but never finds. They have found satisfaction and rest for their souls. So Psalm 23, that famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Always confused me when I was younger, a young boy in church learning that verse, and like, well, if God's my shepherd, how come I don't want him? And I learned that that word means uh, lack. Because God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or as the paraphrase says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. Jesus, in his conversation with the woman at the well, said, you drink from Jacob's well, you're going to be thirsty again. If you drink from the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. You'll find true satisfaction and contentment. And so the hymn writer writes in the hymn entitled Satisfied, writes these words, All my life long I had panted for a drink from some clear spring that I would hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within, feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. And the chorus goes, Hallelujah, I have found Him. Maybe more theologically correct, He's found us. That's another message. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood. I now am saved. Well, contentment is something that God says is a key character trait in our life. And it doesn't come naturally. It's something that we learn as we journey on in our relationship with God. And we discover it's not found in a position, power, or possession but it's found in the person of Jesus. Now let's look at part of the Christmas story then. And I, I, I think the connection here is that Simeon um, represents in the Christmas story contentment. So uh, let's learn a little bit about Simeon from Luke chapter 2 and the part that he plays in uh, the Christmas story. Uh, Luke chapter 2, let's look at uh, the setting uh, so let's read uh, again verses 22 through 24. Uh, Dr. Luke writes, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, baby Jesus, to Jerusalem 
to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Or like, what? what's kind of, what's going on here? Well, we got to take ourselves back to the, the Old Testament and uh, the Old Testament laws. Three kinds of laws in the Old Testament. There's God's moral law. That's the Ten Commandments. That's for all of us. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. There is the civil law. That was the, the law that governed the nation of Israel. Their, their government, governing laws. And then there was the ceremonial law. Those were the religious laws that guided Israel's worship. So we need to understand that or we'll get very confused uh, reading the Old Testament. But here we're introduced to some of the ceremonial laws that were present in um, Israel and um, in uh, the Old Testament and in the early part of the New Testament as well. So uh, Mary and Joseph, Jesus has been born and uh, it was the custom and the requirement for Hebrew baby boys to, on the eighth day of their life, to be circumcised. And that was also when the child would be named. That would be the official naming ceremony, so eighth day circumcision and and naming. Uh, That's already happened. Uh, Verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So uh, that's already happened. But what's happening here is called the uh, the purification rites for uh, for for Mary. And you say, well, what's uh, what's that all about? But before I before I get onto that, I I, I wanted to share um, something fascinating about the law's requirement to circumcise boys on the eighth day. Maybe maybe you've come across this. I remember coming across this a, n- a number of years ago, and just um, it just speaks to who God is. So uh, why circumcision on the eighth day? Uh, I, I did a little research from a religious standpoint. One reason circumcision was performed on the eighth day is so that the child would live through a complete week and experience the Sabbath. That was one speculation. But perhaps God had something else in mind from more of a physical, scientific standpoint. And uh, here's what I discovered from an article by the name, a fellow by the name of Lanny Johnson. I find this fascinating. Another reason for the eighth day for circumcision deals with blood clotting. It has been shown that it is in the fifth to the seventh days of a newborn's life that vitamin K is present in adequate quantities for blood clotting. Vitamin K is responsible for prothrombin production, which helps with blood clotting. On the eighth day, the amount of prothrombin present is above 100% of normal. The only day in the male's life in which this will normally be the case. Therefore, the eighth day is the perfect day to perform circumcision when vitamin K and prothrombin levels are at their peak. You think maybe God knew what he was doing when he said, let's circumcise the male child on the eighth day? 
uh, he, he's our creator, and we're wonderfully and fearfully made, the Bible says. So uh, that's circumcision, but these are the purification rites for, for Mary. What is that all about? Well, this is, again, the Old Testament ceremonial law. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 12. Let me give you the summary. For 40 days after the birth of a son, or 80 days after the birth of a daughter. Now, why are those time periods different? That, that I don't, I don't know. But 40 days after the birth of a son, 80 days after the birth of a daughter, the mother was ceremonially unclean and could not enter the temple. So if you had a son, you had to wait six weeks to go back to church or to enter the temple. If you had a daughter, you had to wait uh, even longer. Uh, It's kind of like maybe being in quarantine for a while. You couldn't come into the temple. You were, you were considered ceremonially unclean. At the end of the 40th day or the 80th day, the parents were to bring a lamb for an offering into the temple as a sacrifice to God. And, and, uh, uh, so they were to offer a lamb, but the Old Testament gave provision in Leviticus that if a lamb was too expensive, you could come and offer, instead of a lamb, two doves or two pigeons. It's interesting, that, according to the, the text here, that when Mary and Joseph came to perform these purification rites uh, 40 days after Jesus was born, they didn't bring a lamb. Uh, they, they, they brought the, the birds. Probably a little bit of an insight into their economic status, this young couple that... Uh, uh, she certainly was a teenager, and Joseph perhaps not that much older. And so uh, that's that's the setting. Mary and Joseph are coming to the temple with six-week-old baby Jesus to, to make this offering uh, according to the ceremonial law. Now we meet a man by the name of Simeon, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And I love the way Dr. Luke describes his his character. He tells us four things about uh, Simeon's uh, character. Number one, he says he was upright. That means he was uh, righteous, rather. He was virtuous. He he was obedient to, to the law and the commands of God. He was devout, one who honors God. It goes on to say, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, the, the, the Jewish people had this hope, and they were waiting for what? A, a deliverer. They were waiting for a Messiah. They had been waiting for hundreds of years for a Messiah. Now, some of them thought the deliverer was going to come and deliver them from Roman oppression and Roman rule. That's why they were expecting the Messiah. But the Messiah, of course, came to deliver us spiritually. Uh, so they were they were waiting for for the Messiah, and it was a hope that was deep within the heart of Jewish people. It had been seven hundred years since Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah seven and Isaiah nine about the coming Messiah. It had been four hundred years since the last revelation of God between the end of the Old Testament and uh, the beginning of the New Testament when John the Baptist comes on the scene. It's called four hundred silent years. And, and there was no revelation from God. And so deep within the heart of the Jewish people was a, a longing and a waiting 
for the Messiah. That's why Charles Wesley wrote the Christmas carol, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, Born to Set Thy People Free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And so Simeon was righteous, and Simeon was a devout follower of God, and he was looking and longing for the Deliverer, the Messiah, to come. And then Dr. Luke describes the fourth character trait, says the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit wasn't in him. That happens 33 years later when Pentecost comes and we experience, if we're a believer, the Spirit of God living within us. But the Holy Spirit still worked in people's hearts and lives. And now the Holy Spirit is on this this man by the name of Simeon and his life was led by the, the Spirit. Well, next we come to the Spirit's promise to Simeon. This is, this is the exciting part of uh, this, this story about Simeon. Fascinating. Verse 26, the Spirit's promise to Simeon. It had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So the Holy Spirit somehow communicates with Simeon and says, here's a promise, Simeon. You're not going to leave this planet. You're not going to die until what? You've personally seen the Messiah. Perhaps that's why Simeon is at the temple. Uh, perhaps that's why he's there on a regular basis and he's looking and waiting and, and hoping to see the Messiah. Simeon, you will not die until you've seen the Lord's Messiah. Bill, Bill Crowder from uh, our Daily Bread Ministries writes in a, uh, a little booklet he has on the story of Christmas about Simeon. He says, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people had comforted one another with the promise of a coming Messiah, an anointed one. And they found strength in that promise during difficult days. They had cried out for its fulfillment during times of national crisis and had rested quietly in its assurance during days of national prosperity. Now, after centuries of waiting, a signal was given. Simeon's life would serve as a line of demarcation in history. If Simeon died, the Messiah was alive somewhere on planet Earth. But the second part of the promise was even more mind-blowing. Simeon would not just live until the Messiah arrived. Simeon would personally see the promised one. So Simeon spent his days in the temple awaiting the promise and living in anticipation of the moment that he would see the Messiah. And as we continue on through the text, the moment came. We call it the surprising encounter because uh, I'm not sure... Uh, while Simeon was expecting to see the Messiah, he didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. And so we read in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now depart your your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the Gentiles, a, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Oh, that day arrived. As Simeon's there in the temple, he sees Mary and Joseph coming in, holding six-week-old baby Jesus to perform these purification rites. And, and he, he recognizes that that's the, that's the Messiah. And he, he goes up to, to Mary and Joseph, and he actually takes baby Jesus into his own arms. And he cradles the, the Messiah. What would it have been like to actually hold God in flesh? the creator of the universe, the one who spoke this world into existence, the one who was going to be the redeemer of the world, and here he is in a six-week-old baby, and and Simeon uh, praises God and begins to worship him with this this, um, eloquent um, praise that he just gave, and uh, we read in verses 29 uh, through 32, he basically is saying, my life is complete. I've seen the Messiah. I've held the Messiah. It's what the Apostle John uh, was referring to when he wrote uh, later on in his life, toward the end of his life, uh, the book of 1 John. He writes, That which we was from the beginning, which we have heard, he's referring to Jesus, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Simeon's life was fulfilled. That promise was completed on that day when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple courts and uh, to, to complete what the ceremonial law required. Contentment. Contentment is not found in position, power, or possessions but it's found in a person. And Simeon said, I can, I can die now. I, I, I can depart uh, in peace. Lord, de- your servant can depart in peace because I've seen the Messiah. I am satisfied in Jesus. Well, contentment. And the only way we'll find true contentment is to be introduced to the Savior of the world who was born to die so that we could live and true contentment is found in Him. One of the things I think about as our um, local church sometimes is um, the privilege we have to support missionaries that take this message of the gospel around the world and we're privileged to support um, about 11 or 12 missionary families and uh, uh, in our business meeting, we're going to ask uh, if we can su- add another one to our missionary list, uh, Tim and G. Kavanaugh, who uh, worshiped with us a number of years ago. They're out in California, hoping to go to the Philippines to take the good news of the gospel. And so as we think about the, the, the ministry of Community Bible Church, I also think about our missionaries that we can support and encourage that are faithfully serving. I also think about uh, another friend of mine that uh, I've mentioned many times, and uh, 
he considers him a part of uh, our church family, and he's been my pen pal for about 30 years now, and his name's uh, Steve. And Steve's been in um, uh, prison for the last 30 years, and we've exchanged uh, letters back and forth. Uh, Steve, Steve considers himself uh, a, a part of our church family, although he's never been here uh, in person. Uh, Steve regularly prays for our church. Steve quarterly sends uh, a, a, a tithe to our church that he earns uh, through working in the prison system. Um, but so I get regular letters from Steve, and I, I got one yesterday, and it just uh, uh, thought it tied in with what we're talking about here is contentment. And Steve's found that contentment because after he got into uh, a prison system, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And though, although Steve will never um, experience life outside of prison, uh, his hope and trust and contentment is found in, in Jesus. And he references that. Um, the end of the letter that I, I, I got yesterday that's addressed to, to us as a, as a church family, he says, I try to witness to the men I room with. I've had eight different roommates since January. This is in Jackson Prison. Most of them are young and get locked up for drug-related offenses. They just don't seem to understand but that what they seek in a drug has already been made available free through faith in Jesus Christ. And he just concludes, may you have a blessed Christmas. Steve's there as a witness telling these guys, hey, what you really need to find true contentment and peace and satisfaction is a relationship with Jesus. Well, how about you this morning? Um, have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? We're not going to get the privilege of holding uh, uh, baby Jesus literally in our arms, but uh, we have the privilege of understanding who he is, the message of Scripture, and uh, to find that true contentment comes by making peace with God, uh, by receiving the greatest gift that God's ever given, the gift of his Son, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you know him as Savior, then you can experience true contentment. And just as Simeon was waiting for the, the consolation, the hope of Israel, the, the arrival of the Messiah, we too can live with a similar hope because the Bible says he's coming again. In fact, there's eight times as many verses about his second coming as there are about his first coming and so the Bible talks about the blessed hope, the Savior's coming, and we can live with a constant, hopeful expectation, even so come, Lord Jesus. So I trust this Christmas season, wherever you're at, you've experienced and will find true contentment that's only found in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, in the hustle and bustle and the stress that comes along sometimes with the culture of Christmas in this Christmas season, Lord, I, I pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds on the fact that Jesus is the reason for this season. Lord, help us to acknowledge and reaffirm today that true satisfaction and contentment is not found in our possessions, our position, or our, our places of power or influence. 
but is found in the person of Jesus. Lord, I pray that every person here this morning has had that personal encounter with uh, the person of Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer. That we could say with Simeon that my life is complete and that I am prepared for eternity because I've met the Messiah and I put my faith and trust in Him. Lord, may we um, uh, share that message of hope and consolation with others. And Lord, may we live each day with the expectancy of the fact that you're coming again uh, someday. May that be the blessed hope of our life. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.